0: Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where each and every week the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent and more importantly, profitable trader and investor. For more information, products, services and detailed show notes, including a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the news and media tab in the navigation. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillum, the chief analyst here at wealth within I just wanted to or with today's podcast I just wanted to follow on from my last one where I talked about the impending float of McGrath real estate Um, and obviously the context of my podcast last time was really just about whether you should buy floats and not necessarily whether anybody should buy into this float or not but I think the yeah the upshot of what I was saying is it's a whilst on the surface it looked like you know, I mean, McGrath is a great um, company. Uh, it's a great real estate agency and does make lots of money. But reading between the lines, um, looking at some of the, the things that it had in their prospectus, um, I didn't necessarily think, whilst it was a safe, I thought it was a you know good sort of safe sort of float. It wasn't one that I would invest in. Um, and I ne- didn't necessarily think um, you the, the price was actually worth it at the time. Um, because you'll probably be able to pick it up cheaper after the float and it, yesterday this stock actually listed on the Australian Stock Exchange um, after everything closed off on the 2nd of December I think it was so it actually listed all they closed everything off on Friday t- so they could list yesterday and the issue price for, for if you remember was $2.10 per share and the current price as pretty much as I'm speaking um, it has fallen away. Um, is around about $1.73, I think it's fallen down to today. And today is the 8th of December. Yesterday when it opened, it did open. It opened at, um, as I said, it was $2.10 per share on issue. So any shareholders who took up the share in the, with the prospectus paid $2.10. It opened yesterday at $1.94. It had a high of $2.03, so it didn't make its issue price yesterday. Had a low of $1.83 and yesterday it closed at one dollar and 83 so it's around about i think it was about 9.6 9.7 percent range in price between where it opened it's high and it's low. Oh sorry, the, the range between where it's high was and it's low for the day the thing that um really sort of as a trader what sort of what things that i can pick up because some people say to me well how do you start analyzing a stock the first day it floats on the stock exchange i mean you've only got one day so how do you know what it's going to do and i always say to people when they say that to me is is every second of every day you can make assumptions about a stock as long as it's being freely traded now you remember in my last podcast I pretty much referred to as prospectuses as a book of lies because they really tell you what the marketing team wants you to tell you and the marketing team meaning the brokers who are underwriting this and in this case I think it was um, JP Morgan was one of the underwriters and who was the other Um, I was thinking Bell but um, I can't remember the other underwriter There was two major underwriters underneath that but basically a broker is charged or breaking house is offered the deal to list a company, um, and brokers do have people um, chasing companies like McGrath to list. Um, if you're a successful company out there, you'll have brokers knocking on your door all the time, trying to list because they make a lot of money out of the listing. So, needless to say, they want to get uh, and they take risk. The broking house because they um, may have to guarantee um, it's being fully subscribed. So, therefore, they do take a risk themselves. Um, so what you're looking for as I said you know JP Morgan and forget who the other one was um, would have taken a risk in actually floating this company or taking over that charge so their marketing department really goes full steam ahead to create a PDS that's likely to entice people to take up the offer so it is fully subscribed now um, yesterday or as I said as as of the closing roughly 62 million shares were booked or um, issued on that. Uh, it has a roughly, I think, on the one the prospectus, it was saying it was going to have 134.2 million shares on issue once it did list. Um, it looks like, from what I can see, is it was fully subscribed, um, which doesn't surprise me. Yesterday, it traded about 6 million shares out of the 134 million shares on issue. So roughly 10% of the issued shares, the ones they issued, like, as I said, 6.2 million, roughly 10 percent of those got traded yesterday Don't whether whether it was those or 134 million shares but roughly five percent of its total shareholding got traded yesterday currently about halfway through uh, as i said today on the 8th of december roughly about two and a half million shares of uh trading so there's a lot of selling and or buying going on on this stock at the moment for a brand new listing and that's really what i'm saying but The close yesterday to $1.83 was quite critical given that there's two things from that point of view. One, it it was below its open. So it opened at $1.94. So from a technical analyst perspective, closing lower than an open on its first day suggests um, price will keep falling because on a new float, if it doesn't keep rising, that suggests that investors are not there to support the move or they're not wanting to hang on to it there's probably few people there trying to stag a profit and if it doesn't go in the direction that they want they can be very vicious and get out pretty quickly so having the the close lower than open suggests that it will fall away further which it has done today second thing that it's it suggests also being the close and the low at the same price at $1.83 also suggests further falls and Interestingly, if you look at the range of the bar, more of it, of that whole, um, where where it opened at $1.94, most of the day was more bearish than bullish. So that was the other thing that I noticed from yesterday's bar. A couple of other things I I did notice actually, as I said. So I'm not saying the long-term value of this share isn't good, Uh, I'm definitely not saying that. I'm not saying long-term, this might be a very, very good investment. As I said, John knows how to run a good business um, and it's an exceptionally good real estate business. And the model is good. Um, I'm just suggesting from a technical point of view, and from an investor point of view, that getting on on floats is higher risk because you don't know what's going to happen until somebody hands over a dollar, a physical dollar, to buy something. You don't have a trend, you don't have any idea of what a value of something is worth. Um, and as I was saying on my last podcast, most of their revenues come out of selling houses. So if you have a downturn in the housing market, their income would reduce. Um, dramatically depending on how far obviously the housing market dipped and obviously listening to the news that over lately and uh, we've seen the Sydney market come off a little bit after being hot for a few years and we're seeing other markets come off as well um, and especially if interest rates rise um, which I don't expect they will over the next year but if they do if they do actually rise it could pull uh, the housing market back. The other thing is the interesting thing that I think I mentioned on my last podcast for memory I think I mentioned it is China is the buying from chinese has slowed um simply because a uh, one thing it's uh, there's some different changes with our government here but mainly because the chinese government is trying to stop money leaving in such big numbers from the chinese economy so they're changing some of their rules over there which has slowed some of the participation here so that would obviously affect our real estate market so their considerations moving forward but again long term i don't have an issue with this this to me it was about as a trader, would I have bought this on the float? The answer was absolutely not. I don't buy floats uh, because often I can find I can pick things up much cheaper after the float. If they're a good company, I can pick them up cheaply. And that's, the, as I said, last one, it was like 50% of the time. You can pick it up in the first 12 months for less than the float price. And in this case, um, that has wrong true. So it's one of those 50%. This stock could flop, uh, go around these areas. It could go lower over the next two, three, four, five, six months or even 12 months. I don't know. I don't have enough data on the stock to ascertain that but i know right now based on the data we've got from one day's trading or one and a half days trading is right now my money wouldn't be in the share because at this point in time i can only assume it's going to fall further but i don't really understand or don't really know how far it will fall if you're a shareholder of this stock and and you bought it off the float and your intention was medium to longer term then i don't think i'd need to worry about it but i wouldn't want to Fall too far from your issue price of two dollars ten. Generally, the strategy would be to put a fifteen percent stop loss on that. So, calculate fifteen percent of two dollars ten, um, and if it traded below, uh, you take that fifteen percent off the two dollars ten price. Uh, and if it traded below that, then you would exit here. A couple of other things I, I've uh, I've got here on my notes is, in terms of shareholders i've got the list if you look at go to the asex.com.au you can actually go to their announcements they've done a few announcements yesterday and obviously there's been a few leading up to this float from that point of view but a couple of things here is i've got you can pick up uh, one of their statements that they made yesterday was with the shareholders the announcement is who are the major shareholders and the top out of the top 20 shareholders now if I just move my piece of paper, the top 20 shareholders control 75.86% of this company. And they control 94 million shares basically, just over 94 million shares. Of those top 20 shareholders, four of them control 50% of that top 20. And those top four shareholders control 38% of all of the shares issued on this dock and um, on this list. It says there's 124,153,228 shares on issue, of which those top four shareholders control 38% of that. Why I bring that up is because it's quite interesting. I know when when, um, the ASX itself floated way back in the 90s, um, I was around when that happened, and the ASX was made up of members of the ASX and those members got an allocation of shares. Now, the ASX was very illiquid in its early days because the brokers were more buy and hold mentality back then. And and so there was very few, little bit of, of very little trading. If you've got a big trance of shares controlled by a small few, that then affects liquidity of the stock because if those big four, five, six shareholders own the majority of shares and they're not trading in them then the trading is left to the remainder of the shareholders. so you want with liquidity as a trader you want not only the number of shares turning over but the number of individuals buying and selling those shares so participation as well as volume so because that will create liquidity so that's one thing I'd be not super worried about with McGuire, but it's a consideration as a trader and investor moving forward because I want to be able to get in and out at a good price. Having less shares traded can mean the price will rise quite considerably because it then breeds to scarcity, so it can work in your favour. But it can also work the other way for you. If I look at those top four shareholders, which I mentioned have control 38% of the company, one is called Fonduru Proprietary Limited. It's the major shareholder at 17 0.07 percent i don't know who the shareholders that i haven't done a, a search on that but if you want to do that you can obviously john mcgrath himself owns a big chunk that's 12.13 percent now he may own or be a director or he may be a shareholder of fondaroo proprietary Limited as well so he may control 29 percent of that um, and i'd suggest he probably does um but i have no proof of that i need to check all of it but um uh, i would suggest he probably would own that the third highest shareholder is ubs nominees and this is where you look at those top lists and see who owns it ubs owns um nominees is one of probably one of their custodian companies um for ubs which is one of the largest brokers around the world they own 8.62 percent and number four is a company called gene and lucas investments it's probably one of his um major um people In the company, and they own 4.6 percent. So, really, the top two shareholders uh, that's 29 percent of the shares. So, the top two shareholders are the dominant ones, yeah, pretty much in here. But if you go down a list of the shareholders, you've got national nominees, uh, they're 4.19 percent, HSBC custody nominees, 3.41 percent, JP Morgan, one of the uh, companies that floated at 2.3 percent. And then we go down and we see things like Citicorp nominees, 2.2, BNP Paribus. Um, RBC, which is Royal Royal Bank of Canada Investor Services, which is another sort of um, uh, company that does custodian services, those sorts of stuff. Um, They're at 1.73%. Another HSBC, custody nominees, 1.4%. Another HSBC, if I can say it properly, custody nominees. There's a couple of their number two account, number one account. Um, So there's a... A lot of big players in this stock that's a couple that's a good sign because you're seeing these big players in here some some very big companies who have invested in this which means they've got faith in the business plan and where they're going so that's a nice thing to, to have have some of these big shareholders all these big companies on your share listing or sorry on your share register and especially in the top 20 shareholders um they have got good stakes in there so that's uh, augurs well for long term just let me shuffle my paper last thing i want to talk about really was a something that really surprised me a little bit yes uh, when i looked at the announcements is that uh, mcgrath holdings or which is uh, mea is the stock ticket code on the asx um, they issued a equity incentive plan yesterday now this is for share, um, not shareholders for employees and contractors and that's a really cool thing to do actually for your um, employees and your contractors is to issue shares as bonuses and those sorts of things it doesn't go into i've had a look at the document i've scanned it all it's a pretty long document because it covers lots of different types of issues like options and share rights and etc etc but there's a few things in there one of it is one of these things that they issue these things for is to reward good employees and that's a great incentive for people to say well if you work hard and we make money then you'll get a share of the company and that's a nice thing and I know some big companies have done that um, and a lot of a lot of times I meet traders that they have been given company uh, shares from their company as a bonus and it does happen to a few i know when i first worked at uh, westpac many 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 years ago when they first um were on the asx we were offered shares in westpac that we could have bought them um at at a pretty cheap price back then and silly me didn't buy them at that price because i think i would have got them at less than a dollar which would have been a nice little thing for a young 20 year old to do but you know, as we learn, um, it would have been a nice to you know, to buy, you know, go out and borrow ten grand, which I could have afforded at the time, buy ten thousand shares and sat back and um, watched them grow over a period of time. But I didn't do that. But it's a nice little incentive for for shareholders, uh, not for shareholders, for staff, and it's well for and also for the contractors because remember they do have contractors in McGran They have licensees or, or what they call franchisees in there. As well, The second motivation that they have as a company, which is also a really good one from a company point of view, maybe not so much from the employee point of view, but definitely from the company point of view, is it becomes a a bit of a hand, uh, a pair of handcuffs for an employee in that with issuing the shares, part of it is there's going to be, from what I can read, as I said, I haven't fully read all this thing. But it's about locking the employee in and rewarding them. Yes, but keep get longevity of employees even more important. You have got good employees that are performing. You want to try and lock them in um, for a longer period of time and offering shares with conditions. Um, for example, and I don't. Uh, this is just an example. It's not to do with McGrath. It's, you might say you'll get you know five thousand shares in the company. Two and a half thousand you get today. You can't sell them for two years. If you leave, then you've got to give them back. Or and or if you work for another two years, you will get the other two and a half thousand shares, but you've got to work for the full two years. And if you resign in the meantime, you'll lose those two and a half thousand extra shares, but you can't sell them for two years. So it locks the employees in because there's extra bonuses coming in and if they leave, they have to sell them, etc. So there's good things about having a share. Um, incentive or an equity incentive plan. So I think that's a great move by McGrath. But essentially right now, the, the, they're supposed to wrap it all up into a tiny little bundle here is right now, if you've bought this stock on the float um, at $2.10, expect the share price to go down. I'm not sure how far it's going to go down. If you haven't bought this stock on the float, just watch over the next you know two to four weeks or, or eight weeks and just see what it does. Because remember, this this at this point in time, this stock is going to be a little bit more it's going to be very much leaning to whatever the property market's doing this stock will do and so as it diversifies its business then that may change things but right now its main revenue driver is retail housing sales and so we need to make sure that if the retail housing sales are in a slump this share price will be in a slump sort of like commodity prices and aussie dollar if that's in a slump so uh some of our resource companies So if you start seeing the housing market pick up, this would be a company that you'd buy into to get that price rise because it's directionally proportional. They sell more houses, they make more money, the share price goes up. That's pretty much what it is. So right now, I wouldn't be getting into it. I'd just be watching it and sitting back on my watch list because this could be one to watch in the coming years. Because as I said, it is a really good company and uh, really well managed um, and it's done very, very well. and, And these guys are great at marketing and building their business. So stick this on your watch list and you might be able to pick up a bargain down the track. So hopefully you've enjoyed these uh, two podcasts um, on the float of McGrath Real Estate. I'm Doug Gillum, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. Um, Good luck, good trading, and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation.